from Pastor Alex. Hey, good morning, church. I am uh, in Branson, actually Ted's home today uh, with my friend David Nasser, but we're bringing Ben to a Canacut camp this week. And, and I want you to know that my friend Ted Cunningham is not just a great pastor and a great communicator, and God uses him in the world of comedy all the time, uh, but he's a good friend. I, I love Ted, I love his wife, Amy, I love what God's doing in their lives, and, and I just want you to uh, love on them today. In fact, put your hands together and welcome Ted Cunningham to the stage. Uh, it always feels like coming home. Thank you for that. Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. I have two teenagers, and all that means is almost every day I have to remind them how awesome I am. Any other dads know what I'm talking about. So don't just let your dad know he's fantastic today, but all throughout. You know what the church is doing for you? You're going to get more details on this. This is not a joke. I shared it in humor in the first service, and no one really fully grasped it, but this is true. They're providing dads car washes for the month. See, I still know, nobody believes me. It's like, what, is he joking? No, for the month, you're gonna get more details after the message, and you'll be able to sign up for that on your way out. So grateful for the church doing that. Uh, I wanna start, we're talking today about forgiveness, but I wanna start with the research that we have that says women live longer than men. And instead of bringing you that research, I just wanted to bring you some pictures that prove that. And I think there's a lot of times that dads do things to help their family, and we think at the time it's, it's a really good idea. It's not until we see the pictures later that remind us and tell us that was not such a great idea. And so these pictures kind of prove why women live longer than men. This is a car broke down on the side of the road, and the guy decides he's just going to fix it himself right there on the side, and, uh, and he did not make it. No, we don't know. We don't know. We just got that picture. Here's a dad overseeing a hazmat cleanup uh, in the neighborhood. Uh, how many of you, Dad, feel your job as supervisor, right? I've always got to make sure the project's getting done well. I love this one. Uh, this is in a pool. They wanted to keep the party going with a griddle. I don't know if they're doing bacon or pancakes. They got flip-flops holding the extension cord together right here. Now, you'll notice there are no women in the pool because women live longer than men. There's dad right there, just as happy as can be, enjoying summer life. I love this one. Here's, what, here's my favorite part about this picture, is how do you know he's a good friend? How do you know he's like your best friend? He's your best friend when you come up with a dumb idea and he says, I'll hold the ladder for you. I'm there for you. It sounds good to me. That's not going to be a problem. Or this one, the guy's kind of cleaning up the yard work and, and he's shoving all of the wood with his leg into the shredder. This one I got just this week, and this is probably my favorite one now to date. Uh, the officer just got a little tired. So my wife, I'm, I'm 45. And it just seems like every year my eyes are getting worse. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going downhill. I already starting at 45. Who's north of 45? Can I see your hands? You're north of 45. It just means we can't do today what we were able to do last year at this time. 
A few weeks ago, my wife told me, she goes, I've scheduled two appointments with Travis for you. And Travis is one of the elders at our church, but he's an ear, nose, and throat doctor. And I said, you've scheduled two appointments with Travis. What's going on? She goes, well, uh, Tuesday at 10 o'clock, he's going to clean out your ears. And then at 1130, you have a hearing test. And I'm like, well, what happened? I mean, what, why all of a sudden? She goes, I just need you to go do it. Well, here's, here's the, the problem. I passed the test. It always takes a little bit for people to understand that. If you don't know what that means yet is, we got another problem. And it's not my hearing. I came home and showed her the paperwork that had all the dots and the lines that said, Ted's hearing is fine. And I'm not making up a word of this. The next week, she goes, I scheduled an appointment for you this week. I said, what now? She goes, you're getting a colonoscopy on Thursday. To which I said, I told you I'll listen right now. We can have a conversation right now if you want. I'm sorry, I said, we're working. But, but sometimes we're just not listening. It's not a hearing issue, but we're not listening. And so as we talk today, why would, you, why would you pick forgiveness as a topic on Father's Day? I have found that every time at our church we talk about forgiveness, every time people begin to take to their heavenly father the, the wounds and the hurts and the frustrations and the fears, and they start to deal with that, and then they realize, oh no, the bitterness, the resentment, the anger that I've been holding towards people in my life. And I just love watching people do business with the Lord when we talk about anger and forgiveness. And so I, I usually would put this at the end of a message, but we're going to start the message with it today, because typically you talk about anger and forgiveness, and a great way to apply that at the end is crafting a good apology. But what I want to do at the front end is put up what I consider to be some bad apologies, and then you discuss it right here. We'll discuss it across the campuses this morning. But just discuss, what do you think you're hearing, okay, when you hear this apology? Because I've, I've learned this in marriage. What I say is not as important is what Amy hears. Let me say that again. What I say is not as important as what Amy hears. Okay, and it's like trying to figure out communication. And we're in a time in our culture where communication is difficult. It's like the mom who texted for the very first time uh, to her son, what does I-D-K-L-Y and T-T-Y-L mean? And the son responded with a text, I don't know, love you, talk to you later. To which mom texted back, okay, I'll ask your sister. <laughs> so we're learning, we're learning how to speak well. And I'm going to start with what I think, and I submit to you, is the world's worst apology. Doesn't get any worse than this apology right here. I'm sorry you feel that way. What am I really saying? Or what are you hearing when I say, I'm sorry you feel that way? What are you hearing? Your feelings don't matter. It's not my fault. Stop feeling that way. You shouldn't feel that way. Oh, come on. Cause, just because I don't feel it doesn't mean you can't feel it. And I need to not look at your feelings as right or wrong, but I, I need to stop apologizing for your feelings and start apologizing for only, only two things you need to apologize for, actions and words, period. What you say and what you do. How about this one? 
if I offended you, I'm sorry. What am I saying? What are you hearing? Go ahead. This is a participatory service right here. We're going. <laughs> we're digging in. I, I think what I hear when someone offers that apology is, you're too sensitive. Yeah, no, you shouldn't have. You, you, shouldn't, have, you shouldn't have heard that. How about this one? I'm sorry you took it that way. I'm sorry you took it that way. I think what I hear is you read more into that than I intended. How about this one? I'm sorry I said it that way. What am I saying or what are you hearing? This is what I think you're hearing. <laughs> what I told you was the truth and you needed to hear it. <laughs> but maybe I could have said it better. Maybe. Listen, if you ever, even if the words don't come out of your mouth, if you say maybe or probably, even in the heart, it's going to be a bad apology. I apologize for my words and for my actions. This uh, show came on earlier this year on Netflix. Does anybody seen Tidying Up? Don't you dare applaud for this woman. It is Father's Day. We will hear no amens from women. None. This woman... Marie is ruining my marriage. <laughs> she has this show on organizational helps on Netflix, came out in January, and January is a time in our home where Amy's kind of cleaning up and kind of decluttering, and we just had Christmas, and, and I come into the closet one day to grab some stuff, and she's standing there looking at a sweater. I said, hey, babe, what's going on? She goes, wait. I said, what are you doing? She goes, I'm asking the question, does this spark joy? <laughs> I go, well, what if it doesn't spark joy? She goes, I'm supposed to say, thank you, give it a kiss, put it in the donate or discard pile. She said, and, and I want us to do this. <laughs> and I, I had to break it to her on behalf of men worldwide, there ain't no man on the planet asking that question when holding a piece of his clothing. We're asking only two basic questions. Does it still fit? Does it smell? If it fits and it doesn't smell, we're keeping it. She said, no, we're doing My wife has two love languages, acts of service and quality time, which means I serve her for long periods of time. That's what this means. And in the middle of these two love languages, she has a love language that's called pitch, pitch, pitch. She believes if you haven't used it in a while, you don't need it. And we're getting rid of it. Okay, any of, any of you, uh, raise your hand if you agree with my wife. No, I said no noise coming out of women. I said raise your hand, didn't need any audible, but a woman can't do that. Like, woo, 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 okay. And where does my wife start with pitch, pitch, pitch in January? The garage. <laughs> Happy Father's Day, right? She goes and she gets the garbage can with the wheels on it, puts the lid back, and like a grocery cart around the garage, she's just looking for what she can pitch. And, and I have to get out there because, right, I'm saving my stuff. She'll hold this up and she'll go, hey, uh, you still using this? I'm like, babe, that's a hammer. She goes, when's the last time you used it? I said, I, I, don't, I don't know when the last... 
What about this? That's a battery charger for the car. I haven't seen you use this in years. Well, it's kind of one of those emergency things that you use. And she goes, well, if you need another one, we'll go get one. I said, that's a problem. We're stuck. We can't go get another one. Pitch, pitch, pitch. Well, when she gets in her mode in January, I, I'm, no joke, I am running around the house to the kids. Save your stuff. Mom's coming. She's coming down the hall. I'm teaching them to sin against their mother. Hiding stuff. Just when I thought I got rid of Chip and Joanna Gaines. Like... We finally got them off the air and we replaced her with Marie. Come home after Amy's watching Chip and Joanna Gaines and she's like, hey, after dinner, we're going to move this wall right here. And I have to remind her, listen, I don't have the skills nor the tools to be removing walls. But I've asked Amy, I go, why do you, why this so much need to get rid of stuff? And she, man, she really shared with me. She said, Ted, I feel like the walls are coming in on us. Like, it's, a, it's more than a physical thing. It's, it's like metaphor. I, I can't explain it, but it's, it's even a spiritual thing. I go, don't you bring your relationship with the Lord into this conversation <laughs> with Marie. She goes, I just feel like I got to get rid of it. And this tidying up reminds me of, of what we do now in our relationship with this daily delay, 15 to 20 minutes a day of keeping short accounts. Because for the first well, we've been married 23 years, so for, I'd say the first half, 12 or 13 years of marriage, we had something in our marriage called the QMR, the Quarterly Marriage Realignment. And we would not talk about stuff when we had issues, when we disagreed on stuff, or we had conflict, like, like grabbing the rug in the family, we'd sweep it under the rug and just hope that nothing's going to happen. But what happens, you do that for a few months, you start tripping over it. And, and so we would not talk about it, and we found our rhythm as a couple, we could go about three months, and almost to the day, three months would hit, and it would be like an atomic bomb going off, <laughs> exploded, and we're like, there's got to be a better way. This is not how, some of you don't have a quarterly marriage realignment, you have an annual marriage realignment, right? Some of you, you can go a whole year with not talking about it. I don't want to discuss it. Let's act like it's not here, like it's not an issue in our marriage, not an issue in our relationship, and it'll just go away. But we're going to start today with the words of Jesus. He gives us something far better than a QMR. He gives us the SMQ. Write this on your hand, write this in your notes, and the SMQ is a settle matters quickly. Settle matters quickly. It's where we're going to start in Matthew 5, 23 through 24 today. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Let's get practical with this today. Let's, let's actually live this out. I think sometimes we can go through a message or a sermon or read a book or get a devotional from the, the Bible app and we can just go, oh, that's a good idea and I should do something with that. But, but why don't today, if, if while we're reading the Scripture, uh, if the Holy Spirit convicts you and you're like, I, I have an issue, and you can name the person, you can name the grudge, you can name the unresolved anger, you can name the offense that took place, how about, how about this? You have freedom in the time we have left together to get up right where you're at, to leave and go make a phone call, drive across town, send an email, send a text, but feel free to get up. I, I had a, a friend years ago, he and his wife divorced, 
attended, he attended our church, she attended another church, and, and I mean the Holy Spirit was doing work on him in a message one Sunday, and he got up from our church, drove across town to the other church where, she, where he knew that his ex-wife uh, attended and where she worshiped, and he sat there and he said, I was waiting for her to come out because I needed to make every effort at peace, and I had not done that. Doesn't mean we were remarrying but it means I needed to, to deal with this and do it now, being reconciled. And here's what passage goes on to say, settle matters quickly. Jesus says, settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on your way or, and this is very important, what we're going to see is it's not going to get better over time. We tend to think that. Act like it's not a problem, it's not affecting this relationship, and it will just go away. Or, if you don't do this, your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Today we're talking about settling matters quickly, keeping short accounts, not sweeping stuff under the rug, but dealing with it. Settling matters quickly with short accounts as we talk about forgiveness. In Ephesians 4.31, we read, get rid of all bitterness rage and anger. Today we're not talking about the anger you should feel towards unrighteous acts or injustice. We're talking today about unresolved anger, letting it sit in you and just keep going inside of you, brawling and slander along with every form of malice. One thing about this text that I find interesting, I think lost or saved, it doesn't matter. Even a lost person would read this and say, this is not good for your emotional, mental, relational, and even your physical well-being. Yes, we should get rid of this. We should rid ourselves of this, but what we're gonna see in verse 32 is how you and I get rid of this, how we keep the short accounts, and how we're able to offer forgiveness to someone who has hurt us, to someone who has offended us. Uh, when I think about rage and anger, I often think of the airport. And my wife and I, at the end of last year, were coming home from our annual abandon. And uh, we had spent two days in one of her favorite cities in the country and just had a wonderful time, all relaxed. And, you know, everywhere, we're, we're in Branson, Missouri, so Springfield, Missouri is our airport. And we have to connect through Chicago or Dallas. That's our primary airport uh, for American. And so we were connecting through Chicago, and weather was terrible. There was low coverage. I think it was under 200 feet, the ceiling, and pilots will explain to you what that means. But we're in Chicago on a four-hour delay, and we're standing at the gate just wanting to get home. It's 11 p.m., and everybody at the gate is <laughs> everywhere. You see it everywhere. And this is where uh, my seven wing, if you're into the Enneagram, I'm an eight with a seven wing. This is where my seven wing kicks in. And I'm like, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a gift to everybody at the gate. I'm just going to tell some jokes. We're going to get some humor going in here. We're going to lighten the mood. It did not work, okay? It did not work all that well. But I do it with Amy. I'm just cutting up with her and having fun, four-hour delay. And I know what it means to be in Chicago on a long delay. And we're not on the plane yet. I know exactly what it means because now that your crew is going to start timing out. And so you're bumping up against that. But I'll be honest with you, I was good with another night in Chicago. Like, hey, if this is, kids are with the grandparents, fantastic. But everybody, man, business people just, just like, oh, on edge. And I'm cutting up with Amy. Pilot comes out. Yeah, hey, folks, we're going to get you all on the plane. 
But I got to be honest with you, we're going to try to get you to Springfield, but we're probably not going to make it. When's the last time you heard a pilot actually say, we're probably not going to make it? But don't worry, we have a backup plan. If we don't make it into Springfield, we'll just head on to Dallas, like we're going to Harrison, Arkansas. We're going to Dallas. That's another hour. Like, and nobody wants to be getting into Dallas at 1 or 2 a.m. and then spending the night in Dallas. We'll just, I'll stay off the plane. So I said, nope, we all loaded. But I mean, everybody's on edge and ticked off. And man, my personality of fun loving, let's have fun with this. Let's try to get everybody enjoying the bad situation that we're in. It was in full, I mean, full throttle. Ah, Man, we were going. We start boarding. They had six Marines, six young, uh, respectful Marines. They board first. They go to the back of the plane. And I get on them with Amy. And then so we're going to, we get on pretty early and everybody's going to be going by us in the aisle. And I sit down and this is staring at me right in front of me. My tray table has a sign that says, inoperable, do not use. And this is exactly what I did. In a loud voice, joking with Amy, she knows my sarcastic personality, but I wanted to see if it would help anybody, you know, coming on, lighten the mood. So I said, this is totally unacceptable. (laughs) I said, we are not leaving this gate until maintenance gets on here and fixes my tray table. I am not going all the way to Dallas with a broken tie. And I'm laying it on. Amy's going, Ted, come on, come on. Something. No, no, I want maintenance on here. I want it now. This guy, probably 60, I'm going to try to point, eh, maybe about your age, watched one too many hours of Fox News that day. Uh, he gets right down into, like, into my space. I mean, he's this far from my face. Amy's against the window. I'm in the aisle. And it's one of these regional jets. He gets right in my face. And he said, if you say anything, I will get one of these Marines to kill you. (laughs) And I will help them drag your dead body off this plane. (laughs) Okay. We call that unresolved anger. (laughs) Here's what I know about anger, okay? He's bringing other stuff into that plane. Not just the delay. He's bringing a sales meeting that didn't go well, trouble at home. I don't know. There's a lot of else going. So here's basic understanding of anger. Number one, unresolved anger is like drinking poison, expecting the other person to get sick. And some of you in here right now are just sipping this toward a person or the offense that was done to you. You're just sipping it. But there are others of you who you've been drinking it by the gallons a day for your entire adult life toward a parent toward an ex-husband or an ex-wife. And, and the second thing I want you to see about anger today is we talk about forgiveness. You never bury anger dead. You always bury it alive. It will resurface in another relationship if you don't do something with it. I see it all the time. You, you divorce your spouse, you remarry, and you think, it's going to be great now because the algorithm put us together. Everything's going to be good. We're going to have far more compatibility. But if you just boxed up your anger over here and you didn't deal with it, you're going to be in a new marriage. And Gary Smalley always said, 6, 12, 24, 36 months, and it will come back out. You never bury it dead. You always bury it alive. And here's what Jesus was really making the point in subtle matters quickly. Unreconciled relationships do not get better over time. I don't know who said time heals all wounds. 
But in unreconciled relationships, listen, it doesn't get better over time. You know what it needs? It needs your decision and your action. You being proactive with it. You never bury it dead. You always bury it alive. And your relationships won't get better over time if you don't do something with it. In Ephesians 4.32, we get the other part. Now, this is where we start to lose the non-believer, okay? Be kind and compassionate to one another. Yeah, that's what you hear this at whatever concert you go to, of any artist, name them. They'll say, love one another. Yeah, be kind and compassionate. We get this. Forgiving each other. But here's where we see our source, the source of forgiveness. How do you be kind, compassionate to one another, forgiving each other? Just as in Christ, God forgave you. He is your source, not the person you're forgiving. And I'm here to tell you, you can't give what you refuse to receive. You can't do it. And you're waiting, you're waiting. And some of you are confusing the idea of forgiveness and trust. You're like, if you knew what this person did to me, I, I just can't let them back into my life to do that again. I'm not talking about trusting them again or in relationship. I'm talking about forgiveness. Like, well, but, but they haven't changed. And I fear that, Ted, if I forgive them, it'll be like condoning the offense. No, we're not talking about condoning the offense. We're not talking about minimizing the offense. We're talking about you understanding how you have been forgiven by God through His Son, Jesus Christ. That is your forgiveness. When you understand that, when you receive that, as we're going to see, not just at the moment of your salvation, which is justification, being declared righteous and freed from the penalty of sin, but also during your sanctification, growing. It's why Paul is always telling believers, bear with each other, love one another, forgive each other. I heard a pastor this week, I was reading, and he said something, if you cannot forgive, if you refuse to forgive someone, you are not saved. I'm like, whoa, oh, you just, you jumped right there. If, if that were the case, why was Paul constantly reminding believers in Christ Jesus, forgive each other, bear with each other, love one another, right? This is, this is something proactive in your life. I forgive because I'm forgiven. When I understand this, this is why we have the parable of the unmerciful servant. I love this parable. It's the, the guy goes out and he has forgiven a multi-million dollar debt in today's terms, a multi-million dollar debt. And what does he do? He goes out and as soon as he's forgiven this major debt, he goes out and finds somebody who owes him like 10 bucks and, and strangles him. But that's what you and I do when we forget and we don't walk in and we don't live in the fact we have been forgiven. And because I've been forgiven, and because I've been forgiven a big debt, a debt that came with it, the penalty of, of, of death, I now have been forgiven that. I, what, what can someone do to me that I can't forgive? The Scripture says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. John writing to believers. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. How far and what's the extent of this forgiveness? For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is the love for those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. I am able to forgive because I know I've been forgiven. I also forgive because I need forgiveness. 
Again, this isn't talking, we're not going to share this text and, and say that it's speaking of salvation. It's speaking of that day-to-day walk I have with my heavenly Father, that daily I need to be reminded of this. I think sometimes in the church we get this, hey, I'm saved, I place faith in Jesus, I have my fire insurance now, I'm good to go, and we forget that is a daily, if I confess my sins, he's faithful and just, and he forgives me of my sins. It's something that is ongoing, not for the purpose of knowing heaven is my home and not for salvation, but for my relationship with the Lord to continue and to grow. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Again, I can't give to someone what I am not receiving myself. I think that person who's harboring bitterness right now, and you've, you've been a believer for the majority of your life, but you're harboring that resentment and that rage and that unresolved anger, that root of bitterness in you, and you're like, I, I just don't know what to do. I just, how long has it been since you sat back? And again, we confess our sins, yes, but when's the last time after confessing sins, you moved into the Thanksgiving part of just sitting there, thank you, Lord, for this forgiveness. Thank you for forgiving me this multi-million dollar debt. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So Peter asked Jesus this question, and this is before the parable of the unmerciful servant. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Great question. How how much forgiveness should I give? Up to seven times? And we read that and say, that doesn't sound, why would he say that? But actually he's being generous because he's taking the teachings of the rabbi that day and he's adding to it. So he's going beyond what he's been taught And Jesus comes in and answers, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. A lot of numbers going on here. I was never good at math. How many of you aren't big fans of math? Okay, it's okay. I tell my kids all the time, don't worry about math. You're never going to use it. Uh, That's a joke. All the math teachers are like, you got to work on that right now. You got to work on what's going on in your heart on that. It's just a joke. Math is very important. You're going to use it, but I hope you stop using it when it comes to forgiveness. Stop counting. Stop adding. Stop keeping track and keeping score. I need to forgive because I've been forgiven and I just want that walk with my Lord. I want to be reminded daily of what he has done for me so that when someone offends me or someone hurts me or someone just frustrates me, that it's, we're not just talking about the act of forgiveness today, but we're also talking about, I just walk in that spirit of forgiveness to be like, hey, I've done way worse. Oh, I've said way worse. I can name a person that I hurt way more than you you think you're hurting me right now. Not keeping score. My inability to forgive when it comes to my relationship with Amy, that is a source problem, not an Amy problem. My inability to forgive is a source problem, not a spouse problem. And when I am unable to forgive something my wife said or did, I have to automatically pause and go, what's going on right here? What have I forgotten right here? It is a source problem, not a spouse problem. The source, the true and only source of life gives you everything you need to love and to forgive. And guess what? He is unlimited supply. Your spouse is limited supply. Unlimited supply. I forgive you because I want you to forgive me. It's a bridge I'm going to walk across because one day you'll walk across it. I'm going to forgive you because one day I'm going to say something. It'll probably be later today. And I want the same forgiveness given toward me. And it's something, we withhold forgiveness because we become very judgmental 
filled with pride. Let's just admit it. We're stubborn. We're just stubborn people. Amy, I forgive you because I want you to forgive me. Proverbs 17, 9 says, love prospers when a fault is forgiven, but dwelling on it will separate us, separates close friends. One of the texts I, I'm constantly sharing with my kids from 1 Corinthians 13 is that love keeps no record of wrongs. And really, an unforgiving person is someone who's a scorekeeper. They're constantly keeping score in the relationship. They're constantly keeping score on, on man, the number of times you've offended me. We're real subtle scorekeepers too, right? Some of you do this on, on texting. You send a long text to a friend, and they respond with the thumbs up emoji. Honestly, and you'll keep, a, you'll keep tabs on that. Like, oh, wait a second. I just poured myself out and I got the thumbs up emoji or the prayer emoji. Maybe you could put a little more thought into that. So we're subtle with our scorekeeping. But I tell my kids all the time, do we allow mistakes in the Cunningham home? I always want them to hear from me, yes. But as a dog returns to it, vomit, so a fool repeats its folly. What do we try to avoid in the Cunningham home? Well, we try to avoid making the same mistake over and over and over again. Love keeps no record of wrongs. We're forgiving one another and not, not becoming opponents. See, in sports, we keep scores so we can have a winner and a loser, right? Sports are fun. Knowing who the winner and the loser is is fun. We used to have friends in the neighborhood that would want to play and be like, let's not keep score. Be like, come on, they're in jail. No, that's true. That'd be like, I knew they weren't going to really adjust to society uh, all that well. But that's, that'd be you want a winner and a loser. Right? And so we teach our kids, right, how to be good winners, but we're also teaching our kids how to be good losers. But in relationships, it doesn't work this way at all. In relationships, we do not keep score because we are on the same team. I'm on the same team. And so the bottom line is this. I won't keep a record of your wrongs because I don't want you to keep one of mine. Let's forgive one another. So here's, here's where I'll end it today with this little diagram. I'm going to ask you two simple questions. When it comes to your marriage, when it comes to your relationships, your relationship with your parents, your relationship with your kids, maybe grandparents, maybe somebody at work, here's the bottom line. Two questions. How far are you going to go back to dig stuff up? How far are you going to go back? And then how long are you going to hold on to it? I was watching the news. I remember last year, one of the politicians, I think in Virginia, out east somewhere, he was in trouble over something in his yearbook. And they were bringing it up. And I remember watching the news going, uh-oh, yearbooks are fair game now. Like I always, I've lived by the fundamental principle, what you did in high school and college should not be held against you, right? Yeah, you smoke stuff you should not have smoked, but I don't need to see pictures of it 25 years later. And I remember yelling to Amy, where are yearbooks? She goes, why? I go, people are getting in trouble for what's in their yearbooks when they're 19. You did stupid stuff when you were 19, right? Raise your hand if you did something dumb when you were 19. Just go ahead and raise your hand. I always love that. The 20-year-old, yeah, that was a rough year last year. <laughs> that was, I, but you know, that's why I come to this church. They teach grace. I mean, we are forgiven, <laughs> fully forgiven. And mom, dad, fully forgiven in Christ Jesus. Yeah. How far are you going back, right? Because back here, if you go back five years, 10 years, 20 years, 25 years, check, 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 check. You have all sorts of hash. Mark's up here, keeping track of everything, and now you're, you're destroying your soul by carrying all of that into the relationship in the future. A few years ago in Orlando, I did a marriage retreat, and 
a lady came up to me at the end of the retreat. I think I did five sessions on marriage. And, and she looked like a nice lady. I said, hey, thanks for coming this weekend. She goes, oh, I didn't want to be here. I'm like, well, good. Okay, well, glad you're here. And she said, oh, yeah, I came kicking and screaming. I didn't want this all. Probably 200 folks at this marriage retreat, great size uh, for an event like this. And, and she said, you know, you prayed something on the first night that reminded me of something I pray almost every day. I'm like, wow. I said, what's that? And she goes, I pray every day, Lord, you know how much I hate my ex-husband, and I hope you kill him today. <laughs> okay, well, I did not pray that, okay? I, didn't, I don't think I prayed anything that resembled that at all. I said, wow. And she goes, yeah, and that's why, man, I just sat through the first session. I didn't want to be here. I didn't like you. I didn't like what you're saying. I'm going, this, this is one of the most encouraging endings to a retreat I've ever had. Thank you. I, I can go back and get this treatment at my church. <laughs> I don't know why I travel to get this. Anyway, uh, she said, but God did a work in our marriage this weekend. I love this. She said, but more than that, he did a work in me. And well, tell me about it. She said, you know, you were describing anger early on, I think in that first session. She said, and boy, I got it. And I, I describe anger, it's this simple, I'll give you the short version of it, that some of you carry around anger like a pet. I think we all carry it around like a pet, feeding it every day with our thoughts, that resentment, that rage, that, that anger. And, and I said, some of you have a, like a goldfish anger, like you keep it for a couple of days and then it's gone, like it just doesn't last, right? It's like a carnival goldfish. Remember you get come home with a bag from the carnival, woo, and then you just, it's gone. Others of you have a guinea pig, five to seven years. You carry the guinea pig around, feeding the guinea pig every day. You're nurturing that anger. Others of you, I said, have a parrot. And, you know, parrots outlive their owners. They can go 75 years. And I said, and you know what needs to happen to the parrot on your shoulder? You need to take the parrot off your shoulder, throw it into the air, and yell, pull! That's what needs to happen <laughs> to the parrot. And when, I'm, when I do this in California, I release the parrot in a forest preserve down the road. I don't ever, <laughs> I don't ever kill it but we're in Bass Pro Country. Can I get an amen on that? Oh, yeah. So, this lady said to me, we didn't have a goldfish. I didn't have a guinea pig. I didn't have a parrot. She said, Ted, I had a tortoise. And see, some of you get it right away. A tortoise, they can live 150 years. And this thing's so massive, she said, Ted, I, I, I got remarried. And, you know, by the way, her new husband is standing there the whole time like this. <laughs> Scared out of his ever-loving mind. You never bury anger dead. You always buried a lot. There he sits like, oh, boy. She said, what I didn't realize when we remarried, uh, I just asked him to pick up that side of the tortoise. And we were carrying the tortoise together, and I just wanted somebody to hate my ex-husband as much as me. She said, but I got good news for you, Ted. And I just, I still remember, I can still see her face. She said, we left the tortoise back in room 220. And I'm, some of you right now, is there a real tortoise? Are we talking about a real tortoise? No, it's, it's figurative for the anger. She goes, if you want to see it, it's back there. And I, I see it all the time. I had it happen last week. A couple come up to me, and I mean, they were ticked off after I spoke on marriage, and they were just like, Ugh! And I always love, I get this a lot all over the country at my home church in Branson, but I'll get couples that will come up to me or a spouse that will come up to me and go, our marriage isn't going so hot. You want to know why? <laughs> Getting a little picture of it, but it's just, it's not, 
I'm sure it's just scratching the surface of what's really going on. And I'm telling you, this, for some of you today, you are not connected to the true and only source of life. You, you have not been forgiven. And today, understanding the power of the resurrection, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that raises your dead soul and saves you. If you will confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, Jesus is Lord. He's been raised. If you'll believe this, if you'll call out and cry out, you will know the source. Like if you only knew all the stuff that I've done and you're forgiven as far as the east is from the west. And this will give you everything you need to go out and forgive those in your life. For some of you, you've been a believer a long time, but you've harbored this bitterness and this resentment. Somebody after the first service came to me and was talking about the anger as part of the grief cycle, that they never expressed anger. And I want you to hear clearly, today we're not just talking about that denial or that anger that's part of the grief. We're talking about unresolved anger not addressing it, not getting help, not working through it, knowing who the true and only source of life is and the healing that he brings. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that raises your dead, lifeless soul. It's the same power that raises your dead, lifeless marriage and your dead, lifeless family. It's the power available to each and every one of us today and all God's people said. Would you pray with me? Father, it is in the name of Jesus that I think of the, the wife, the husband, the mom, the dad, the grandma, the grandpa, the son, the daughter, um, the coworker, the leader, the boss, uh, those who are running at a pace, not taking the time for soul care, and, and just wondering why the little things that happen to them make it just infuriate them and, and bring such outrage uh, to their homes, to their workplace, to their church. To their, I mean, why is it? Well, it's because it's just it's compounding. I'm praying today, Father, that the Holy Spirit is calling many by name to just release that to you, to confess that sin to you, to confess that before you, that they would find forgiveness and have everything they need to freely give that to those family and friends who have hurt, who have offended them. May we be a forgiving people because we know we are forgiven, because we need forgiveness, and we want to be in relationships that grow closer together, not separating uh, all the time with our words and with our actions. So I pray a blessing over families today that dads would feel esteemed as highly valuable, not just uh, in this church today, but as they leave here today with family and friends. And it's in the name of Jesus that everyone agreed and said, thank you, church. Amen. Fantastic message. He's got jokes for days.